Hello, ladies, gents, and non-binary folk. You are listening to the Political This That podcast. I am your host, Anime, and join me every week as I sit down with a new guest and we talk all things politics and social justice. Hello, everyone. On the final episode of 2021, I got to sit down with Tasia Cox Armstrong. She's a Carleton student while also being a strong advocate in her community regarding anti-Black racism and police brutality. We talked about her nonprofit, Elevated Canada, Blacks in Power, one of her other nonprofits, and how she is using her voice to champion change in her community. I hope you enjoyed this episode and let's get right into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Political This That podcast. But this week, I am joined by the lovely Tasia. Hello, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm good. Good, good. I'm happy that you joined us this week. Um, before I get started, I allow, I allow the guests to do their own bio. So tell the people your name, what you're studying, some of your hobbies, what you like, that kind of thing. Let the people know who you are. Of course. Uh, my name is Tasia. I go to Carleton University. I'm doing a double major in law and English and then a minor in women and gender studies. I enjoy writing. I love journaling and just talking a lot. I love using my voice. I'm very passionate about using my voice to create change within the community. And yeah, that's a, a little bit about me. You're forgetting some other stuff too. For instance, you have your blog coming out, which is also very exciting. She's also the co-founder of Blacks in Power and also Elevate Canada, which we'll really be talking about in this episode. We got an award for Peel Region. I have to let oh, the people know. Modest and not include all the major. No, you have to. This is the time to. She's a community activist, and she's the past year, especially especially with Black Lives Matter, she's been out there. She's able to talk to um even the mayor of Brampton, some of the officials in Brampton about police brutality, black students in um, elementary school. So that's also a cool thing too. So I have to make sure people know. But yeah, it's Tasia, I guys. That. Thank you. Of course. Before we get into like the main topic, which will be talking about you, Elevated Canada, community activism and racial justice, I like to do this thing called question period, which is where I ask the guests a couple of cool questions before we get into the gist of this week's episode. The first question is, what is your favorite song at the moment? I would say Put That Woman First by Jaheen. It's been on replay. It was like it's an old school song. It's been on replay recently. I don't know why. <laughs> old school is always better than usually new school because new school, or there is talent, but there's just, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. It all sounds the same, to be honest. Like it sounds like the same beat and the exactly. same rhythm. Yeah, over and over. <laughs> Literally. Second question is, what is your favorite place to grab food in Brampton or the GTA? hands down I would say Joey's I will drive all the way to Sherry just to get Joey's I love the um the seared salmon sushi and the, the lettuce wraps definitely Ooh. my favorite 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 restaurant in the whole world and weren't you a server at Joey's as well if I wasn't I was a host I was a, a host, host. At okay Ottawa, yes. okay which one's better that the Ottawa one or like the Toronto GTA one I mean I don't work there anymore so I can definitely say the GTA one is a lot better than the Ottawa that's fair that's fair yeah Third question is, what is your favorite class you've taken in university and why? Hmm. Considering that, you know, you're double majoring in law and English and minoring in women and gender studies, I feel like you've taken a plethora of classes. I have, I have. But say my favorite one was probably, I think it was first year, second year, I don't remember, but it was my women and gender studies class. It's probably first year because it was just called women and gender studies. Mm-hmm. And I really, really enjoyed it because like, I obviously love talking about like the community and like modern day topics that are happening like right now in the world and like mm-hmm. that class was like catered to that so I was kind of able to like express myself 
through my schoolwork, which is not something we always usually get to do in like law That's class or in like English, actually English, yeah, but law class, not so much. Mm-hmm. So that was my favorite class because like I felt like a part of me was like in the class. I also always will recommend people should take like some type of women and gender studies class. But like, currently I'm taking a philosophy and feminism course. Like those are the type of classes where you actually will keep the things you learn once you're done the class. It's very interesting stuff and very applicable to real life. I agree compared to like a lot of the other classes where kind of like I'm learning it for my degree. Literally. <laughs> compared to like that one's like I'm learning it for like life. Exactly. And last question of question period is a this or that question. So for you, Miss Tasia, I know you want to be a lawyer. She's also done a couple of interviews. So this or that question is, would you rather show up to court as a lawyer only in your undergarments or have makeup flashback in every TV interview you do? Oh my goodness. No, where did you come up with this? Okay. Um, okay. I feel like I would say the makeup flashback because only because like, I think they want to take me seriously in court. If I come in my underwear, I might get fired and I'll lose my job. So that would kind of be the end of that with the flashbacks really only people who like our age right now is people in their 20s will be, will, will be like 25 30 by that age but people are in their 20s will be the only ones really making fun of me so I think I'll be okay with some younger kids on Twitter making fun of me hopefully people will pay attention to more what you say than the flashback is now ended um and now we're gonna go into the main gist of this week's episode so the reason i have tasia on for this week is because again i told you she's a community activist she's amazing and she also has she like i said earlier she co-founded elevated canada so i want to bring her on to talk about that elevated canada racial justice community activism all that fun stuff so we're going to first talk about elevated canada so what is elevated canada for people who don't know um, yeah, of course. So Elevated Canada is a nonprofit organization um, based in Canada, specifically Toronto and Ottawa Brampton area. And it's um, put in place to support our homeless population to kind of be there in any way we can, whether that's with money or food or just everyday necessities. We're trying our best to support those people in our community. Love it. Um, what really prompted you to start Elevated Canada? Oh my goodness, I get this question so much and like I always answer it differently because like there's so many different things that kind of sparked me to start it. Um, I've always been a very, very caring person and I, I'm always looking for ways to support people in my community and I always like I used to give them money on the streets like you know mm-hmm. for driving your car they're taking inside I'd give them money and then one day I'm just like okay like, I keep giving them money like little change here and there and yeah maybe it's giving them food or something but like I feel like I could do more and I want to do something more um, sustainable and not just like temporary ways mm-hmm. of helping people so that kind of made me spark um, the idea to just do a donation drive one day and then I fell in love with doing it and I kind of kept doing donation drives and now I'm trying to expand to, to creating workshops and stuff like that to be more of a support than just monetary help mm-hmm. when you're interacting with homeless people what's a, I think a big misconception people have regarding homeless people and that they're just drug addicts um, and that they're on the streets due to drugs and one thing I learned is that that's not always the case I'm um, speaking with a lot of them you learn that they lost their jobs or people passed away and they went through depression and like a lot of other factors played a role into where they are today and even like I came in with the headspace that like okay a lot of them are on drugs you know like mm-hmm. that's why they are where they are today and I made that mistake as well so it's, it's not wrong to think that because like I was there too but once you actually speak to them and understand their story and, and what really got them to where they are today you, you know that there's a lot more factors that play in 100% I think people look at homelessness as a very 
just a one dimensional kind of thing where it's just like oh like you said they're just drug addicts or they're alcoholics where it's just like and sadly in this world especially with the with the economy and prices rising a lot of people are one paycheck away from homelessness and homelessness is a big aspect and so sadly a, a symptom of capitalism and all that kind of stuff but Homelessness is not just, oh, I, you know, this person got addicted to drugs and that's how it started. Like, no, there's so much more to it. To it, And hopefully people be more educated regarding homelessness because it's not just this one thing. And we see it regularly. Like when you go downtown, either Ottawa, Toronto, you see it. And it's just, it's actually very sad. It's very sad that this is the case. And then due to COVID as well, finding shelters are even more difficult. And people, people don't understand how hard it is to get out of that cycle once you're in it exactly so, and it's just not there for them they have no support and it's hard for them to break out the cycle when they're doing it all by themselves and you know what kind of conversations have you had with homeless people and what things have you learned or gained knowledge from specifically um yeah so we kind of talked about like um their family a lot mm-hmm. you learn that a lot of them don't really have family kind of people are probably thinking like oh like why don't they just go home or why don't they just call their mom or call their dad a lot of them kind of lost that connection with their family during their um their depression or whatever put them on the street whether it was drugs or losing their job a lot of them don't have that connection to their family anymore and and it's hard for them to kind of get back on their feet you also learn that that, that they want to that like it's not like not really a choice of theirs that they're there a lot of them talk about wanting to find a job or wanting to seek help, but again, they don't know where that support is because it's not really put out for them to see. And again, they don't have phones, they don't have the internet. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of like social media advocacy where it's like, okay, this helpline or or this place or that place, but a lot of them don't know where that is because they don't have access to the information. So it's extremely difficult for them to seek help. Why do you believe this cause is so important, specifically dealing with homelessness and trying to eradicate homelessness in the GTA? Why do you think this cause is so important? Um, it's important to me um, personally because my uncle is homeless, so that hits home to kind of see that firsthand and how he's living and, and his struggles and me not being able to support him directly, it, it hurts a lot. So it makes me think like about everyone else put in that position as well. At the end of the day, we're all human. And I feel like there's really no need for people to be out on the street with nowhere to go and nowhere to sleep when the government is supposed to kind of ensure that those are everyday necessities that people have access to. So if they're not going to make the change, I want to set my foot in and partner up with other people who um, have the same passion and want as well to make that change within the community. So it really hits close to home and it hits close to my heart. Mm -hmm. What does success mean to you in terms of Elevated Canada? Ultimately, (laughs) the goal is definitely to have like my own like facility Mm -hmm. where it's not just a shelter, but it's more than a shelter. So it's a shelter plus we have workshops, plus there's Um, job opportunities where we're helping them build resumes, helping them conduct interviews, us connecting with job agencies, make sure that they're 100% guaranteed into a job, Um, a mental health facility. Like it's going to be like one big facility where it's like uh, they start off, they come in with our help, they go through um, counseling, they get job help, they get financial literacy support, everything that they need to kind of get back on their feet, housing support, whatever it is we can offer them to get people rehabilitated back into society. That's the ultimate goal. I know it's still happening for a couple of years just because like obviously money and just building the platform is still mm-hmm. something that's going on but ultimately that's the goal for the organization. And I know that you'll get there for sure. When you look at the government and how either municipally, federally, provincially, how do you feel that homelessness is being addressed through the government and what more needs to be done? Um, I feel like 
they're trying like again they're they're trying to create spaces I guess and creating um, groups or support systems for them but again the issue is that they're not delivering the information correctly because a lot of them don't have access to the ways that they're um, presenting this information to them we need to actually kind of maybe I don't know what's better as, a, as us actually getting out on the street and like you know like helping people directly one-on-one -on -one. we're actually making the effort to create more housing create more shelters create more job opportunities and actually work on rehabilitation not just again making a job for them that they can't really get because they don't have the schooling they don't have the resume um, support they don't have what they need to actually get the same jobs as everyone else so I think there needs to be a whole like rehabilitation program made specifically just for them because again the things we're offering is not always going to be easy for them to get the way that they're making it seem to be. Do you truly see homelessness being eradicated in our generation? And you can be I, as honest as possible. Honestly, right now, no, just because I'm very stuck on the people in power right now. Like their mindset is like, again, I have no issues with older the older generation but again mm -hmm. I feel like we have a lot of new minds coming in with, within our generation that can make a lot of very big big changes for example we have you over here doing your podcast <laughs> we have me doing nonprofits. we have people like Tatiana doing her her talk shows like you know we have a lot of great young minds who have a lot of great ideas I think until we're those people who are in power whether it's you Serena whoever it is in power like in those positions that's when the real changes might be made I feel like for now we have a lot of people stuck in their ways and stuck in their um, their mindsets so I don't think it's going to happen so, right now, but I pray that for our future, that when we're the ones who are kind of in those positions to make the change and we have the mindset that we have right now, it's very possible to get the ball rolling. Obviously, we're not going to all be in power and it's going to change like that in <laughs> years, but we can definitely get the ball rolling on that. I would love to see homelessness being eradicated, but like I said earlier, I do believe it's also a symptom of like capitalism. Like I do believe that as long as we have this current system that we have in place, homelessness sadly is still going to be there. So it's going to be hard for homelessness to be completely eradicated, but I do believe it's possible. And like you said, like it does take the work of policy policy, and does take the work of politicians. Like politicians actually have to do the work and not just talk the talk and say, oh, like I believe in ending homelessness in like 10 years, but like there's no actual concrete plan of doing that. And again, like you said, most of these people sometimes most of these politicians are not doing the actual grinding work which i mean what i mean by that is that actually going to to the streets and actually discussing and having conversations with the with um homeless people and people also have to remember that homeless people are people and it's not just people you run away from or that kind of thing too and sometimes politicians may just do that as a pr stunt just to pop themselves up but they're not actually engaging and talking with these people because when they talk to these people they'll, like you have done they'll actually learn and educate themselves like okay this is actually the problem or this is what I'm dealing with and like we said it's not only drugs not only alcoholism it's you know they lost one paycheck it was just a domino effect from there so I think that also plays a huge huge part in, in homelessness and eradicating it hopefully in our future but we shall see I agree I, I definitely agree with everything you said have you had conversations about homelessness or how have you been able to also educate just your even just your friends about homelessness or other people how have you able, how have you been able to do that yeah of course um i was able to actually write my very first um i don't know what to call it maybe an article 
I don't know what really what it really <laughs> was, but it was featured on a website called Women's You Should Know or Women You Should Know. And I was able to kind of talk about the issues within um, Canada and Toronto and Ottawa specifically around homelessness. So I was, I was able to kind of use that platform to get that message out there, which was very, very exciting for me. I love writing um, as well. I kind of talked about it with my friends, but again, a lot of people have that like closed mindset where like they think that homelessness is just one thing but again a lot of them are very interested to hear about it and they're interested in learning so that's also exciting for me as well um i hope to one day tie the homelessness um within the elevated canada within blacks and power so both my nonprofits kind of tie that together because they do overlap with like black people being a lot of the homeless population as well Mm -hmm. I hope to try to tie that in and support both groups at the same time. But right now, it's very just using the page for advocacy, talking to my friends, writing where I can, having that shared on either CBC News or the Woman You Should Know page, wherever that, wherever my voice could be heard through different platforms is, is what I try to do. And that's really good. And I'm happy that you've been able to educate those around you too. I'm happy that all those around you are open-minded from there, change can start. And that's the goal. I'm happy that you brought up Blacks and Power because that's where we're drifting off to now. So now that we've talked about Elevated Canada, we're going to talk more about your work with racial justice. So alongside Elevated Canada, you're also the co-founder of Blacks and Power. So just tell us a little bit about Blacks and Power and how it came to be. Yeah, sure. Um, so Blacks and Power is a nonprofit organization um, which caters to the Black community. We created it to kind of highlight, um, amplify, and really hear the voices of the Black community and either highlight our accomplishments or our struggles, whatever's kind of going on amongst us. And when I say we, I mean myself and my partner, CJ Mayers. Um, we created Blacks Back in Power after we led a rally last year in March, which called to which called to talk about the racism within the Peel District School Board. So after that, we're like, okay, like let's let's make a page and like make it a platform to talk about everything we want to talk about. And ever since then, we've been having discussions about multiple different topics. And we have a lot of excited things coming up for the page that I cannot wait to share. What does Blacks in Power mean to you specifically? Hmm. To me, I feel like it's just a place where people can learn and our voices can be heard. Emphasis on the learning, though. Um, last summer, I was put in a position where like, I even had to push myself to learn. I was at work and I was the manager of my employees. And someone made a post on Instagram that said, um, all lives matter. And me being the manager, I had to address it in a way that made him feel comfortable and made me feel comfortable as well so that really took me out my comfort zone to actually talk about that and address it and what that meant and he generally had no idea he's here like you know like I thought that meant everyone like mm -hmm. I care about everyone and I'm like no it's okay but like here's what it actually meant and kind of after that day I was like okay like a lot of people generally just don't know because they grow up in like small towns or their parents don't educate them on what they need to know and obviously the school is not doing it as well so a lot of people generally don't know. So I'm just like, okay, like this page could be a great way to educate those around me. So for me, it's like a tool where I can teach people and I can even be taught myself. We have a lot of interaction on the page. People kind of say their own one two piece in the comments. And it's kind of like, oh, like I never thought about, about it in that way. So the page allows um, a lot of opportunity for learning. And that's the key to everything. That's the key to like what we talked about earlier about homelessness. That's the key to Black Lives Matter and Blacks in Power. Essentially, it's just us learning. And there's so much things, even as young Black girls that we're learning about that we're just like, well, I never realized that too. And there's also the intersectionality, like you have Black women and you have um, Black women who are part of the LGBTQ. 
LGBTQ community, you have Black women or Black people who are, you know, disabled. So there's so much intersectionality there as well. And there's so much learning to do. And there's never, you never stop learning. You never stop educating yourself. I think people also need to remember that too. Like, just because, you know, Black Lives Matter is not trending currently doesn't mean that you don't stop trying to learn or educate yourself on what's going on too, because it does ultimately it impacts and affects everyone. I agree. Education is definitely key and knowledge is definitely power. A hundred percent. How have you and CJ been able to have your social media advocacy kind of translate into in-person advocacy? I feel like the page has kind of sparked a lot of attention to a lot of different events that we've been offered to do. For example, for one, through CJ's direct directing, because I know CJ is a director, as well as the page. And from the rally, we were able to create a documentary that will be featured on CBC News next February. Um, it's called Knowledge is Power and yes. directed by CJ. And I'm featured yes, in it yes, as yes, well. Yes. Yeah, so we were able to talk about issues within the field district school board that talk about streaming, talking about the prison pipeline, talking about different issues of anti-Black racism within the village school board. That kind of came from the page and all the traction we had from the march as well. Um, as well as a lot of our contact, ta- content will be turning to in-person as well. So right now we do a lot of posts um, about um, just like different things we see on the news. So like the police brutality that we see and just different facts of our history. But we do want to look forward to having some talk shows, hopefully coming on next year. Where we talk about stuff like relationships among black, black men and black women, talking about prejudice, talking about colorism, talking about stuff like that in person, having having special guests come on the show as well. So we're hoping that a lot of our content will turn to in person because obviously mm-hmm. it's much better engagement and it's better to kind of get the feel of things and, and learn when you're talking to people face to face versus this like social media world. But for now, the the online advocacy is turning into hybrid and we're hoping that we can do a lot more in-person events as COVID begins to die down as mm-hmm. people get their vaccines. We can do a lot more. And we were even thinking about doing like um a basketball talent showcase for That'd the youth really cool. and a lot, a lot of black men are in basketball try to get some scouts out there for them a lot of different ideas we had for people in our black community because we, we obviously want to see everyone win and we want to support people the best way we can so for now the online advocacy is sustainable until we have all those bigger things planned out again i love all the hard work you and teacher are doing and it will pay off 100 percent. and just those things too i think again it all goes back to the community it's like if we're not coming back to the community for not engaging with our community then what is all of this for exactly i agree you briefly talked about it but last summer in the height of black lives matter when we have when you talk about the um, murder of george floyd in america you and cj decided to do the rally in brampton mississauga if i'm not mistaken so talk to us a little bit about that what really prompted you guys to really start about it and you also had people make posters as well so talk to us about those two things Of course. So I'll start with the rally. Um, So we noticed that a lot of people were doing just straight like Black Lives Matter rallies, you know, just like Mm -hmm. we're all just rallying for Black Lives Matter. And obviously, like that's what sparked it. The George Floyd thing sparked it. But it's like we wanted to use the opportunity to talk about like a more specific topic rather than just like the broad Black Lives Matter. We're like, okay, like what are we rallying from? Like, where do we think this kind of sparks from? And we're like, okay, the school system, because, you know, it starts with the school system and it kind of branches out to the prison pipeline, et cetera, streaming. It starts when we're kids. So we're like, okay, let's rally and talk about the changes we want to see within the school, the field district school board and kind of go from there. 
was kind of what sparked the rally to begin with. And that's why we marched where we marched. I think we started at the courthouse and then we ended at the field district school board. So we're just like, this is where it started. I know, I think it's kind of cool. It's kind of sick. We're like, we're starting here and we're ending there because that's kind of like where it's ending mm-hmm. is where it's starting and we wanted to end. That's like the mindset we had behind doing it from those two spots. And yeah, like we, we had a lot of people come out and a lot of changes sparked from that rally. We had the, um, a lot of trustees stepped down after our rally. We called really? them to step, yeah, we called them to step down and they stepped down. I know some of them want to come back now, but like, again, it's very performative because what did you guys, you guys stepped down. Did you learn anything? Did you educate mm-hmm. yourself? Probably not. You just want your jobs back. But um, yeah, and I know they also put in a supervisor after our rally as well, because we called for that. So we had a supervisor overseeing some of the work the trustees were doing. Again, I don't know if the supervisor is still there. I have to read up on that. But knowing them is probably like a, a contract type of deal. Because again, everything is very like, okay, we'll do it because the cameras are on us. And when the cameras are off, we'll kind of go back to, it, just to the way things are. But our goal is to really avoid that. And just to make sure that like we're making sustainable changes and not just temporary quick fixes. And then for the posters for justice, that was another initiative I did with um, two girls. They DM me and just like, hey, like, do you want to help us put up posters around Brampton? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I thought about it and the Tasia wheels started turning and I was like, <laughs> why just Brampton? So I ended up helping them expand it. So I think we went to Ottawa, we did Brampton, we did Toronto, we did Scarborough, we did Oakville, wow. a whole leap of cities around um, Ontario. And I made everyone kind of take a picture and video after they posted their posters. And then I made like a little slideshow. And then again, obviously, posters are not going to stop police brutality or posters are not going to stop streaming, but it just shows that people care enough to bring awareness to the topic. And I love just talking to people and, and knowing that people care enough to bring awareness and educate themselves. And this is just another example of how you've been able to translate social media advocacy into in-person advocacy, which is so important. And not only have you been able to do the rally, you're also, you've also been able to talk to, like I mentioned earlier, actual people in power, the mayor of Brampton and some people on the police force. So talk to us about that. How did that come to be? How did it go? And where do you see it going forward from there? Yeah, of course. So I was able to be, um, I was honored enough, I want to say, I was honored enough to be in two different talk show type things or roundtable panels, I don't really know what to call them. But the first one was with Mayor Patrick Brown and Peel Police. That one was exciting. We talked about um, body cams on police. We talked about issues with police and schools, which is also very interesting as well. And it was me and a couple other youth who got to share our opinions on that. And then another one I was in was just with trustee Kathy McDonald. And I just asked her a few questions about the changes I wanted to see within the field school board and kind of see where, where that was heading. And those kind of like allowed to kind of have our voices heard, like a lot of youth voices were heard. I think like they're trying to understand that like the youth have a lot to say and we have a lot 100%. of good ideas. The rallies were led by youth. Mine, there was march for change there was a lot of values that were led strictly by youth and i think a lot of people in power were just like oh like let's hear them out let's hear what they have to say mm-hmm. and that was exciting and it was really cool to know that they couldn't to kind of hear our voices but yeah that was about it and this happened 2020 if i'm not mistaken right or earlier this year it was earlier this year actually okay and from there how have you seen any tangible change from both the police district and peel region school board um 
honestly, other than the two that I said, which was the putting the supervisor in place and having the trustee step down, I want to say not so much. I know, like, for example, so I work at two organizations, one is seasonal and one I'm on right now. Mm-hmm. So I work at One Voice, One Team, and I also work at um, Youth Speak Canada, and both of them have been doing, like, workshops and, like, presentations in different schools about, like, anti-Black racism and about um, anti-oppression, inclusivity and stuff like that. So, again, I don't know if that's, like, the school board who brought us in or, like, that was just teachers we had connections to, but I know some people are, are trying to educate their students because I was literally in the schools online over the past I want to say a couple months doing different presentations mm-hmm. for students, which is pretty exciting. So I know they're trying, but I know we also have like a long way to go to make them real sustainable long-term changes. What's the main um, thing, what's the main issue you're seeing in this in the school board that you wanted to see addressed? Um, I would 100% say the streaming. So for those who don't know, streaming is basically when you push a student into an applied level program. I remember one of my coworkers this summer, he literally told me that one of his teachers told him that he's a college student. He's just like, you know, like you're a college student. You're not a university student. Wow. And he's like, oh, I have no idea what that means. And I'm just like, that is ridiculous. Like teachers are actually kind of forcing mm-hmm. kids down one path based off like what they think is best for them. And most of the time, those students are students of color. It's the black kids, mm-hmm. it's the it's the the kids that came from immigration. It's the kids that you know are not known to really be in positions of power. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an issue because now look, we have um, kids being forced down applied um, down applied programs. And now we're lacking in doctors, we're lacking in mm-hmm. lawyers, we're lacking in people of color in those positions because a lot of us were pushed down a different path yep. rather than the university path. So I feel like that's how the cycle obviously starts. So I mm-hmm. think once we kind of break that streaming, that streaming of the students, we can have different people in power and have more students really um, pushing themselves to be more than just down the college pathway. And again, nothing's wrong with being. Mm-hmm going down a college pathway but when you're kind of pushed down it that's where like the problem really yeah and for people who don't understand what she means by streaming it's that in Ontario the way it works for high school is that grade nine and ten you have three different levels you have academic applied and locally developed and then once you go to your senior level classes of grade 11 and 12 you have university you have mixed you have college and then you have like trade slash work um yeah trade slash apprenticeship that kind of thing so the way it's say what she's talking about is that basically that in these in secondary schools the um guidance counselors and the teachers are pushing racialized students marginalized students more down the applied slash college um streamline instead of like academic and university and that's problematic in so many ways like all like like what Teja just said but it just makes it seem like you know we need these type, we need more diversity, we need more inclusion, and we need more representation in all areas. So it's it's starting from it starts young. It starts young. And that's the scary part too, is that these kids are not even given a chance, truly. They're just like, okay, originally going immediately when they get into high school, it's like, okay, you're going down this path. Like they're forcing you down this path. It's like they don't want to see you succeed. And it's scary too. And as you know, young, young women who eventually will have children, hopefully. It's like, is that something that I want for my children to make them feel like in the school system, the education school system where they're supposed to learn, they're not, their voices are not being heard. It's it's very scary. It's very problematic. I know that I heard something along the lines of the Ministry of Education is trying to end, I think, streaming. And I think in for grade nines and ten. So that's something that's that's good news. That's really good news. But more needs to be done, of course. 
I agree 100%. Um, yeah, I agree with everything you said. As a society, we are becoming more educated about social justice issues such as like Black Lives Matter and anti-Black racism. So I have two questions along that for you. One is, are you happy and content with the progress that society is currently making? I don't want to say I'm happy, but mm-hmm. I can say like I'm I'm okay with the process we're making because obviously things are not going to change overnight. I don't expect um, streaming to end tomorrow or mm-hmm. next week or next month. I don't expect police brutality to end next month. I don't expect a lot of these issues to end like within the next couple of years because obviously it takes a lot of time and a lot of um, planning and a lot of work and a lot of people who care to actually put in the work to do so. But in terms of like the little changes that are being made, again, I don't know if they're long-term or not, um, with whether that's me going into schools and presenting like, like us bringing in more people to go into schools and speak about different topics or them having the trustees stepping down or them having the supervisor in place, whatever those changes are, like those are okay for now, I feel like, but obviously we have a lot more changes that need to be done. And then the second question I have for you, Alana, says like, do you truly, do you believe that people are truly educating themselves or do you just believe that people are just being performative? Especially um, in the, especially after last summer when you saw a lot of people posting about Black Lives Matter. I want to say last year, I would say it was a lot more performative. Looking at Nike, for example, Nike posting a black screen that says, this time, just don't do it. And I'm just like, what in the heck is this? Like, what is, like, what was that? Or even, like, the whole black screen era. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the performative stuff was last, last, um, last summer. I saw, like, the highlights of only Black Lives Matter highlights, like, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But now, this year, I'm seeing a lot more discussions and panel discussions and a lot of youth making different clubs at school. Or I'm seeing a lot more, um, like, Black-based clubs pop up, even within our school as well. I'm seeing, like, people of color log um, committee Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so I'm just like okay like people are actually wanting to learn and create spaces for us and for ourselves and we're wanting to educate ourselves which I'm noticing a lot more this year so I feel like in comparison to last year people actually are genuinely wanting to learn it and have those discussions and that's very important too because like we talked about all throughout this episode about education and to talk talk about authentic education not just posting just to post but actually learning and okay how does this impact me or just how does this impact impact this community and how are my actions doing um impacting that community and what more can I learn from them well how can I treat this community better what can I do to make sure that I'm not you know harming this community and it's just little things too and people are again most people don't know too and that's okay too but as long as you know and you're educating yourself that's the key and that's what we want to see as we go on from racial justice, and we're going now more the last bit of this episode into community, more about community activism, a little more in political engagement specifically. Um, we're gonna talk about political engagement because you have been able to talk to politicians and people in power. How do you feel that they are actually listening to the youth? What's your opinion on the current um, relationship between politicians and youth engagement? I think they're trying because they're setting up a lot of panel discussions and roundtable talks. Like, for example, I was just asked to work on a project recently with an organization called CARE, and they're Mm -hmm. basically revamping the CYC um, child and youth worker curriculum at York University, and they're trying to, like, make those those changes to better meet the needs of Black students, and they wanted youth, Black youth voices to be kind of in on the study so for me I was like okay like you know like we're trying to include black voices and and stuff like creating a whole new curriculum that's going to support them within universities type things I'm like that was pretty cool um I feel like the politicians 
I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's performative just because like we sat there on the call, we did our, our youth voices, we talk about it. But then from that, I feel like there should be more. It's not just you guys listening to us. It's more of like, we should be a part of like the planning. Like I want to see what the plan is after we have these roundtable discussions and after we have these talks. Because we sit there, I see them nodding their head and they're taking their notes, but it's like, okay, so what are you doing with these notes after you're exactly. done taking them? Um, so I feel like that as well, like just having the youth a part of whatever planning and discussions they're making. I know obviously it's not like, it's not easy to mm-hmm. like have that, but you have to create like a separate space for you bringing the youth sometimes during those those discussions. You know what I mean? Just kind of get our voices heard and, and be a part of the actual process of it. Because more like you're taking our opinion down, you're like, yeah, okay, I hear you. And you're kind of closing the book after and you don't know what you're doing with it. It, so. it becomes useless and it becomes that it, it's like what you said just become performative it's like okay you're just doing it just to do it but what action is being done the action is the more important aspect words okay words are nice but what are you actually doing to implement these policies to make sure that lives are being lives are safe and lives are not being in danger each and every day so I definitely agree with everything you said and then the second question I have in terms of um political engagement that kind of thing um parliament is going to be in session soon um, federally after we just had our federal election and then we have a provincial election coming up next year in June so what are your expectations what would you like to see done being done federally and what would you like being talked about provincially next year as we approach that election um provincially I really want to hear more changes that they have for the school boards I don't want to hear any more um, temporary fixes that they have I want to see more um, sustainable changes whether that's putting in new curriculums within high school making different classes mandatory because of course in high school we're taught everyone's history but our own and mm-hmm. it's not mandatory to learn our history so I feel like making those changes where it needs to be done rather than just kind of talking about the issues that they see um that's one thing I definitely want to see and as well as getting more people in positions like in teaching positions and um what's the word counseling positions principal positions just like people who we can actually relate to because mm-hmm. a lot of can't relate to our experience and it's hard for us to learn from people we don't really see ourselves as if that makes sense I don't representation exactly so I want to see more of that as well and of course it's hard because again we talk about the cycle where not a lot of us are in that position to Mm -hmm. be teachers because we're pushed down all these different types of programs we're pushed to be athletes we're pushed to be everything else but to go to university so again that's difficult but just making more opportunities for for people to better engage in their learning especially people of color 100% and as we wrap up this episode I have to ask you of course what has been like the most rewarding thing or like give a, if you can provide us a specific story of how where you felt like wow the work I'm doing is paying off and I see the change happening Oh my goodness, I don't even know. There's like so many like different little moments. I'm just like, yes, like this is why I do this. I feel like I probably name a couple, like obviously yeah, for one, like, being featured in the documentary was amazing. I'm just like all this hard work and like now my voice is gonna be heard on a very, very big platform, which is amazing. Um, as well as just like, even when I engage with the students, like when I tell you that's like the best feeling ever, like when I tell mm-hmm. you a lot of students are so smart as well, and you're teaching them about like anti-racism or anti-black racism and they give you an example, they're like, yeah, like one time, I was at the store with my friend and he was black and the store owner was only following him. And it's like, they have a lot to say and they ask mm-hmm. questions and they're like, what do I do next time? I don't know if I did the right thing. Or they're like, oh, my parents have this mindset. Like, what should I do? So it's really, really good to know that a lot of kids want to learn and they have questions to ask. So even that's just like, wow, like the work I'm doing matters. I'm here thinking 100%. like, yeah, these kids want to learn, but like, do they really want to learn? And it's like, when you talk to them, it's like, yeah, they, they want to learn and 100%. they know what's going on in their community. 
but those are the, those are the small changes that you know are important those are the um interactions that make it worth your while you know that's why we see that's what we're talking about community when we talk about community it's not always this big rah -rah. It's just like those little moments talking to students to be like okay hey this is what this means so just knowing that you've impacted even just one person in any way you can that's what we want to see and you're making a change each and every day and i advise everyone who's also listening to this episode that change doesn't have to be change is not this big big thing like you can make changes in any small way and as we end this episode, what advice do you have for people who want to impact the community or want to make change in their community? What would you say to them? And how would you go um, about that? Yeah, um, I would say for one, be authentic. As Anna mentioned before, authenticity is so important. People can really gauge when your heart's not in it or you're kind of doing it for show. Um, everything I do, I always make sure I put my heart in it. And I always speak from the heart with whoever I'm speaking to, because that's how people know that like the work you're doing is meaningful and it's real. Um, and just just dip your foot in like I there's no like really one place to start mm -hmm. it's more of like I woke up one day and said I'm gonna do this and I started collecting donations and I kind of went from there and it and now here I am today so whatever idea you have do it it may be a small idea or a big idea it may be a dumb idea who knows <laughs> but just do it because people will support you as long as you're being genuine and authentic about it 100 last last question of this episode is I ask all guests on this episode what it is what is one thing that is not talked about in mainstream media that you believe deserves more attention? That could be literally anything. You can talk about things we talked about this episode. You can talk about something that we did not talk about. But what is something that you feel like is not getting enough attention as it should be? Um, I would 100% say the bodies that are being uncovered of students of the residential schools because that is not being talked about as much as it needs to be. It's more of like, I'm seeing new numbers every day and I'm just like, am I the only one seeing this? Like, there's just no way. Um, I just feel like I want to educate myself more on the topic before I'm the voice before people start going how come you don't talk about it you know what mm -hmm. I mean like I, I need to do a lot more education on for myself but I feel like that needs to be talked about a lot more because there's no way we're seeing all these bodies being uncovered and we're letting it kind of go over our heads like like it's nothing mm -hmm. like you know we don't have blood on our hands all of us even every single one of us mm -hmm. we don't belong on this land and we're not really acknowledging that so I think that needs to be talked about a lot more. 100%. I think we just become so desensitized to it because we saw at the beginning, like I think earlier this summer, then it's just become like, okay, whatever. And nothing's really be done about, okay, yeah, mass, um, flags are being um, at full mask or half mask and all those things. But what's really being done about it? It's like the government knows more about it too. And it's just so sad because like you earlier, earlier you talked about like how in the curriculum we should be talking about our history too. And that includes indigenous history as well. It's not being discussed. It's not being talked about as, as well. And it sometimes feels so, so performative. And it's like, there's so much issues going on with inside the indigenous community that it's just like it's just being ignored like one area is like one area specifically is the fact that they still don't have clean drinking water i talked about this in another episode but no clean drinking water in 2021 in canada a country that marks itself as a g7 country it's sad and it's 100 percent that needs to be dealt with that needs to be discussed and also i believe that um the government shouldn't be taking young children indig young indigenous children to court as well because that's a whole thing we can go off about indigenous issues as well too because it's it's so hidden in this country and that's another thing people need to understand in canada is that we prior we make ourselves we showcase ourselves as this big great country but we are facing issues here as well in terms of racism anti-black racism but also indigenous people indigenous people are still not being acknowledged recognized on their own land so it's it's a whole thing but ladies and gentlemen we have finished this episode thank you so so much Tasia, for joining us um you've been amazing and i hope you guys learned something from her i'll make sure to leave all the links 
to her numerous projects below. Elevated Canada will be down below. Black Blacks and Power will be down below. Um, what else do I need to promote? Your book. Your book is coming soon. It's coming soon. Documentary is coming there. soon. All of that stuff. I also put up her personal IG as well, so you guys can follow her as well. But do you have any final words for the people before we end off? Just thank you so much for having me. Thank you for giving me a platform to again use my voice. I love using my voice and talking about things that really mean a lot to me. So thank you guys all for listening. I hope to connect with you guys soon. I love making new friends and new connections. And that is this week's episode, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and make sure to check out the description box for all things mentioned in this episode. Also, make sure to follow us at the PTT Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to stay engaged in all things politics and social justice. My name is Anime. This is the Political This That Podcast. Until next time, bye.